You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, it's great to have everyone here. And the reason why it's so important, kids, is that you're in the service is because you're a part of God's kingdom. You're just as important as the adults. And so it's great to have you joining us in the service. And so if I get boring part of the way through, that's okay. Just know that Jesus loves you and enjoy being a part of it. And I just want to take a minute um, and... Just encourage you adults, as fear seems to be taking over in our society yet again. And the news channels seem to be pumping out constant fear yet again. I'm going to be writing a a letter to just, you know, it seems like sometimes we just get part of the facts nowadays. We don't get all the facts. We get predictions and not hard evidence. And so this week I'm going to be taking um, some time that I've been working on uh, this weekend and then Monday to just write a letter just laying out some facts for you to consider so that hopefully you're not taken over by the spirit of fear instead of the spirit of joy that usually accompanies Christmas. There seems to be a new spirit of fear that arrived just in time for Christmas, which is taking our eyes, a lot of eyes of Christians off of the meaning of Christmas, the hope that we have in Christ. And so I want to encourage you that we serve a God who is in charge, that is not out of control, that he has not lost control of the situation, and that he calls us to have our faith in him, to be not taken over by fear, yes, to take precautions, yes, to be wise, but not to be a people who are full of fear. The world, our culture, has told God, I don't need you. I don't want you. And so, therefore, the world has determined it needs to be God. But we know that men and women don't make very good gods. And so, the real God, Christ, calls you to fix your eyes on him and be encouraged and walk forward in faith. And I just want to encourage you in that as we start. Let's pray. Lord Jesus These days are confusing. Lord, we want to trust. We want to think the best of people. We want to support. We want to protect. We want to be good Christians in our society. Lord, remind us again that you're sending us out sheep among wolves and that your call is for us to be as shrewd as vipers and as innocent as doves. That is a hard balance, Lord. Would you give us the ability through your power to walk that out this Christmas season? To be respectful, to honor people wherever they are in their beliefs, yet to have a confidence that we serve a supernatural God. Lord, would you help us as we... Remember in six days that you came to the earth to show humanity that God is with us, Emmanuel, 
that we are not alone. So Lord, these ladies and gentlemen, these men and women, give them encouragement, give them faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I was to ask the average Canadian uh, what they look forward to most about Christmas, you get a lot of different answers. I looked up the top 10 answers. Uh, some would say the lights and the decorations and the trees, that's what they love the most about Christmas. Uh, some say it's to see family and friends that they haven't seen in a long time. Some really like the time off of work and the time off of school. Some really love the food, all the goodies. But I bet you if I was to ask the kids what their favorite thing about Christmas is, they would say the presents, right? Lots of presents. Presents are a great thing. A present is simply something bestowed upon another uh, without compensation back. In six days, billions and billions, that's a big number, of presents will be given out all over the world. Many people won't even know why they're giving presents at this Christmas thing. For just some, they just know it as a day off work and a time when we put up decorations and we dress up this tree. We eat lots of food and we have a great time. But if we go back 2,000 years, and that's what I want to do, we go back to the greatest presents given. The real meaning for Christmas. And today I want to look at three gifts that Christ gave us 2,000 years ago at the first Christmas. And then if you come back on Christmas Eve, I want to look at three gifts Christ will give us at the second Christmas. Yes, there will be a second Christmas. Jesus' second coming will be the second Christmas. And Christ is coming back to give his church some gifts then. Yes, and it's an exciting time, Myra. I'm glad you're so excited. What presents, think back in your life, did you receive that really impacted you? Uh, What presents changed your life? What presents are you still using today? What presents did you receive that don't rust, that don't become old, that don't need to be updated every six months? Well, Christ has three for you. The first is one that you won't find anywhere else in the world. The first Christmas gift that Christ gave us 2,000 years ago is we received an equal opportunity to know God. And in our day, equal opportunity, equality is the big thing, right? That everyone should receive the same opportunity and the same outcome of everyone as everyone else. Equal opportunity, equal outcome, regardless of where you come from, how much you work, your education. But if we're really honest, we know that 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 really doesn't work. That no matter how hard culture tries to orchestrate or manipulate or, or construct a world where everybody gets the equal opportunity and the equal outcome doesn't actually happen. And yet, here in the Bible, we read about two vastly different groups of people that received an equal opportunity to know God, the Creator. We find the first one in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. You can follow along overhead or open up your Bibles. 
In the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news and great joy will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a great multitude of heaven of the heavenly host with the angels singing and praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them, they returned to heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Then we see the second group, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has come, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. Then we skip to verse 9 after their interaction with King Herod. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had been they had seen at its rising. It led them until they <clears throat> excuse me, until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling at their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Two different groups, vastly different. Shepherds, Jews, they were the lowest of Jews, the poorest of Jews, They were actually religious outcasts because they couldn't practice the Sabbath law. They couldn't keep the rabbinical uh, laws. They were looked at as sinners because they worked seven days a week. They were the outcasts of the Jewish society, forgotten about by society, the uneducated, yet they were given an invitation by proclamation, by angels to go and see the Savior that was born into the world, to go and see for themselves. Then the second group, the Magi, or we know them as the wise men, wealthy Gentile Persians, meaning non-Jews, educated at the best schools, esteemed by everyone, even the king knew who they were. Given the invitation by a specific star that was prophesied over 1,500 years before, these two groups represent vast, far spectrums of the human race, so different from each other and yet given the same opportunity to come and know this God. And you and I, this is the greatest present for us, you and I have been given that opportunity That gift, to know God. You say, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. So what? 
And you may not say that, but some of you are thinking that. So what? I've heard this before. I've been to Sunday school. I've heard this a million times. So what? That doesn't seem as exciting as a new phone for Christmas or clothes or fill in the blank, whatever you desire. I hear it. It sounds nice, but it's really getting old. Well, maybe you have forgotten just how great this God is because For the shepherds, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to them. The wise men, they had tasted and seen and and had everything that the world had to offer, and yet they came from a long way away to see, to receive this king. So I need to remind you and tell you a bit about this gift that has been given to you, that this huge God has come to the earth so that you can know him. This God cannot be weighed. He cannot be measured He cannot be put in some box. He cannot be predicted. He cannot fully be understood by our minds. He's huge. And yet he's personal. He's personal. He's not a something. He's a someone. He is a God in three persons, yet one God. Perfect. That's why he has a name. He's given us his names because he wants us to know him, that we can call upon his name. He is not some far off God, but he wants us to know him. It's an amazing thing if you read about the people that the Bible says were called friends of God, that this huge God can be friends with human beings, us, you and me, that we can know him. The atheist will say there is no God to know. Any other religion will say God is too big and too far off for us to know. And yet Jesus came to be known by us. What's he like? Well, I can tell you this. He's close. He's really close. He's here everywhere, filling this entire room. He is around you and in you. And yet at the same time that he's here, he's on the moon, taking up all the space in the moon and around the moon. He is everywhere. Abraham said he is everlasting. He is eternal. Isaiah said he is the first and the last. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's not like humans changing all the time, changing with the times. He stays the same. He's reliable. The same God that Adam talked to in the Garden of Eden is the same God we just prayed to a few minutes ago. He is reliable. And he wants us, us, to know him. The same God who created every animal, every, every bird, every tree, the oceans, the space, the stars, wants us to know him. He knows everything. He's reliable and he knows everything. He's personal and yet he knows everything. Wisdom is his. And he can give it to us. He wants to give it to us. I was born into this world a baby and I knew nothing. Nothing. It's been 41 years and I've learned a few things. And probably in 40 years I'll have forgotten most of those things. Some people come to me for counseling like I'm wise. But the God that came to this earth has all wisdom and he wants to give it to you and to I. 
He understands everything as it really is, sees everything as it really is. He cannot be tricked or deceived or give incorrect advice. He's perfect. And he invites us to be in a relationship with him where he gives you that wisdom. He is perfect. He doesn't need to be updated. He doesn't need to be replaced. He, God, wants you to know him personally, to know that he's holy. He is light. There is no darkness in him. He is separate, pure, entirely different from any person on this earth. I only need to look into the mirror to see the reflection of an unpure person. But God is not like me. He won't be one thing with one person and another thing with others. He is not corrupted by human wickedness or evil or greed or power. And he is not waiting for you to mess up. Wouldn't it be depressing if I presented to you a God who was evil and wicked and tyrannical, waiting for you to mess up so he could squash you? But that's not the God that came to this earth. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be saved by him. He is separate from us, and yet he came to us. He is righteous. Righteous means he can't do anything wrong. He cannot do anything wrong. You might think he's done some wrong things, but he can't actually do wrong. It is impossible. He does everything right. You'll never have to worry about him doing something wrong to you like human beings do. He can't even do it if he willed it. And he is wise. Wise. Just look at his creation. Just see his creation and see his wisdom. I was looking in the fireplace last night as we had a fire and I looked at the flame and his creation of the fire is so amazing. This thing that is, that heats, that cooks, that provides warmth, that burns through things. He created that. The water that we drink, it's such a miraculous thing. You can drink it, it keeps us alive and yet you can freeze it and it can evaporate. It's an amazing thing. Look at the human eye. More, more sophisticated than any camera out there. Look at the human brain, more sophisticated than the, any computer in existence. He's wise. He's perfect. His DNA was made specifically, your DNA was made specifically by him for you. He wants to give you his wisdom. And he's loving the Apostle John tells us that God is love. It's important for us to remember that love is not God. God is love. Some people think they love, but until you know God, you actually can't know love. You just know it on a lesser level. But that God, Moses tells us, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And David tells us that the Lord is good to all, Psalm 145. Think about that. The Lord is good to all. All. Even the people that hate his guts. There's a lot of people in the world that look at God as their enemy. They hate his guts, even though they don't know him. And yet, he gives them breath in their lungs. He makes the sun come up and the rain 
come so that the crops grow and so that they have a meal which they never thank him for. They bring children into the world which make them smile, which bring joy to their lives. God is good to all, even those who hate him. He loves so much that he came to offer forgiveness to his enemies, to us. What an amazing thing to think that that equal invitation is open to anyone, whether the highest of the world, of a person that the world says is the highest, or the lowest, to receive mercy, to know God. That's an amazing thing. That's the greatest gift. That's the thing we need to be focusing on this Christmas. Second present that Christ gave us when he came 2,000 years ago is we receive the opportunity to live for something lasting. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, became, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The Bible tells us that this young couple, Joseph and Mary, were engaged to be married. They were just a regular peasant couple, Jewish peasants, living a regular life. Joseph was a carpenter, living in Nazareth, little east, a village in eastern Israel under Roman authority, run by a corrupt king called Herod under a broken, hypocritical, religious system. They were just a couple of average people, like you and I. Most likely in their life, they would build a one-room house off of their parents' property. They'd have a few kids, scrape by financially, grow old, leave whatever little bit they had to the eldest son. Everything they've worked for in their mortal life left behind all perishing eventually. When I say perishable, I mean it never leaves this world. It's worldly. And then an angel comes to inform Mary first and then Joseph that they had the opportunity to live for something that would last, something that was eternal, something that would never be forgotten about in the history books of heaven, that they would bring God's Son into the world Feed him, raise him, protect him. Think about it. I was thinking about this. To change God's diapers. That's an amazing thing. God, that big God we talked about, became us, like us, in every single way. And they had been given the unique opportunity to bring that child up so that he would give himself as a ransom for all humanity. But it didn't just end there. We have the same opportunity. And it's important to realize that when they 
took this opportunity. They were given the opportunity and they took it. They didn't say, oh, no, 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 sorry. They took it. Their lives became a lot harder. Became a lot more challenging. A hit squad was sent out for them. They had to go into hiding in Egypt. They were looked at as, she was looked at, Mary, as an unholy woman. Life became challenging. But life became glorious and wonderful. And by taking that opportunity, they participated in something supernatural, something extra special, something important, God's mission. And when Jesus came into the world, he gave you and I that same opportunity. And here's the truth. Everything that we build in this world, it's all being left here. Anything that is not built for the kingdom of God will be left here. And in a hundred years, the reality is, is that probably no one will remember your and my, our names. Even if we become famous, in a couple hundred years, we'll just be a name in a history book that historians refer to. That is the reality of all the things that we work so hard for in this world. But when Jesus left heaven and came to this world, he gave us the opportunity. He says that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, just before he leaves and goes up to heaven again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judah, and in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. That invitation, that opportunity was to all Christians. That is for you and I. That is a gift. That is a present. That means the things that we do for God in this world all the, the hardship of discipling your children and loving them and reaching out to people and sharing the gospel and helping the poor, all of those things are eternal. They will go with us to heaven. Your money, it's staying here. Your bank account, it's staying here. Your house, it's staying here. Think about that. Everything that you have, your money will be left to somebody else. Your house, someone else will live in it and they won't even know you live there. Your degrees will end up in the landfill. Your trophies all of the things that we so value in this world will be left. And yet the things that we do for Christ will go with us into eternity. That is awesome. That is the gift. Just to be given that opportunity. And if you're here, you have that opportunity. God created Mary and Joseph for a purpose. He sent Jesus for a purpose. And it's foolish for us to think that we don't have a purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. And if you've been saved, you are a son or a daughter of Christ, and you have a unique opportunity. Third thing, last thing, quick thing. We received the gift, the present of hope after death. For hope for life after death. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, at the Holy, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him, 
what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you have promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory to your people in Israel. Time on this short on this earth is short. It's short. Soon it will be over. I was 20 not that long ago. Now I'm 41. Soon I'll be 60. Life flies by and maybe you're young and you're like, life drags by. No, life will fly by. It is very short. And it isn't amazing. Like, it, you should, this should say, wow, isn't God amazing? It isn't amazing that 3,000 years ago, the Bible told us in Psalm 90, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. And if after all the technology and all the science, the average male life is still 80 years. No matter how much humans try, we can't seem to push it much further than that. And for most older folks, their biggest worry isn't being embarrassed or failure or poverty. I find for most older folks, their biggest worry is death. Because it's final. Because it's unknown. Because it's not, they're not coming back. And what if we had to have a hope, an assurance, that death is not blackness, that death is not final, that death is not fire, that death is not judgment. That is why Christ came to the earth. That is the gift, the present, an assurance, not just like an intellectual understanding. Simeon didn't have just an intellectual understanding. He had an assurance that death would be better than life. That he was going to a place where there would be no more suffering, no more abuse, no more sadness, no more tears. Take note of this old man. He wasn't rich. He wasn't special. He didn't have great unlimited power. He was devoted to God and he trusted God. He had faith. Faith in a Savior. And look at his assurance that at the end of his life, he says, now, Master, you can dismiss me. That means I'm ready to die. Are you ready to die? Do you have that assurance? Have you been given the gift? And you can be a saved Christian and still be so worried about death that you're just fretting and trying to stay alive for a little bit longer. But you can be like Simeon and have that assurance, I'm ready to go whenever. Because things are going to be even better. John 6, verse 20, Jesus says, For this is my will, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. Do you have that? That assurance? That can be the gift for you today. Three presents. To know God, to participate in something that will last into eternity, and to have the assurance that you will live after you die. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite the kids up. God, thank you for that great, those great gifts, far better gifts than anything we're going to open up under the tree this year. 
Lord, I pray that we would, as we open up our Christmas gifts on Saturday, stop and focus and remember the greatest gifts that you have given us that we would really want to know you more and that we would participate in the opportunity that you've given us and that we would have that assurance, that confidence like Simeon had, that we're ready to go whenever you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.